This episode of The Outside Podcast is brought to you by Features, socks that help you perform at your best. Features are made by a family of athletes who design and craft socks that they want to wear themselves. Hugh Gaither founded the company in 2002 with a vision for a new kind of sports sock. And today, he runs the company alongside his sons, John and Joe. As John explains it, all three of them continue to play big roles in product development. We're ultimately the biggest critics. We put them to the test. If they're not working for us, we know that they're not going to work for somebody else. Based on my own testing, I can tell you that features are unlike any sock I've worn before. They are designed to work with your foot in motion, with no toe seam, an anatomical design that conforms to the unique shape of my left and right foot, and targeted compression that hugs my feet only where they really need it. They feel like they were made just for me. John told me they've gotten used to hearing customers say this. It's why his family is in this business. We're inspired by the reactions that we get from users. That's what really drives us. I think it's kept us motivated. It's why we are all still involved in running the businesses because we're truly passionate about the products that we make and the people that we're providing them to. Learn more about why Feature Socks are the number one running sock in America. And check out their awesome colors and patterns at features.com. Outside podcast listeners receive $10 off your first pair of socks by using the code OUTSIDE at checkout. That's F-E-E-T-U-R-E-S dot com. And enter the promo code OUTSIDE at checkout. From Outside Magazine and PRX, this is the Outside Podcast. What you're listening to is the sound of the world as experienced by a zebra. Well, as experienced by a dead zebra, anyway. (laughs) To get even more specific, what you're listening to is what it sounds like inside the rotting carcass of a dead zebra, currently being consumed by some very aggressive vultures. But before you turn off this podcast and put on something a bit more tasteful, I want to pose a question to you. Who on earth would think of sticking a microphone inside a dead zebra? Hang on, so I shall start recording then? Chris Watson. That's who. Okay, I'm running. He made that recording more than 20 years ago. But today, the now 66-year-old Englishman is spending much of his COVID lockdown recording birdsong in the backyard of his home, in the suburbs outside of Newcastle upon Tyne. I don't really sort of see it as lockdown now. I'm in quite a fortunate place. I've got plenty of work to do in my studio, and uh, I'll be doing a lot of recording in the garden, my back garden here. You may never have heard of Chris Watson, but I can all but guarantee you've heard his work. Since the mid-1990s, he has traveled the world alongside the voice of nature himself, David Attenborough, recording the natural world for Attenborough's films. From the life of birds and the life of mammals to Frozen Planet and both series of The Blue Planet, Watson has recorded the wild world everywhere from the icebergs of the Norwegian Arctic to the deserts of Saudi Arabia. Early next year, Watson and Attenborough will bring us their latest project, The Green Planet, a documentary series about the lives of plants. Most recently, though, 
Watson has been staying closer to home, just like the rest of us. And while he might miss being outside on exotic wilderness adventures, as he recently explained to outside contributor Greg Noon, he has greatly appreciated how the lull in human activity during the COVID-19 pandemic has made it so much easier to hear the sounds of nature in our own neighborhoods. It's been really good uh, sort of voyage of rediscovery because I've, um, you know, I'm just, I've been using similar techniques that I use in tropical rainforest in the desert to get recordings of birds and other animals in my back garden. I'm just looking out my studio window now somewhere where I'd like to put a microphone perhaps over the weekend. The fact that nature is more audible now is something that lots of people have been talking about. But there's a difference between casually noticing that you can hear more birds and choosing to become a more active listener at a very unique moment in history. This is something that Watson believes we should all be doing. Which brings us back to those vultures. And the question of why anyone would put a microphone inside a dead zebra. Well, it is with sound, and that's a, and sound is, is an intense sensory experience because it strikes directly, I think, into our hearts and imagination like no other sense apart from our sense of smell, I guess. So it's, it's very powerful in that sense, and I, and I like revealing that. <laughs> So one of the challenges of getting individual recordings is is getting close to the subject. There's no equivalent of a telephoto or zoom lens in sound, so that the very best technique is to get microphones very close, much like the one I'm using to talk to you now via my recorder. If I um, go to the far side of the room like this, then I go off mic and it's much more distant and you get the acoustic of the space and less of less of my direct sound but if I'm here it's in many ways a, a better recording for, for a lot of things and so getting a microphone close to the subject is um, is one of the challenges that I enjoy doing. And that this was a joy Watson discovered early in his life when his parents bought him a tape recorder when he was 12 years old. It opened him up to an entirely new world that most of us never even contemplate. It had batteries in it. That was a that was a particular moment. So I realised that I could take it outside, and so I went out and put some bird food on the table, and and put the microphone on the bird table, and hung the recorder underneath, and set it going, and then ran back in the house. And um, fortunately, because it had very short recording times, about eight minutes, I think, the bird started to come back during that period. And the tape ran out, so I ran back out and retrieved the recorder. Watson didn't save that first recording, but about four years later, when he was a teenager, he used the same device in the same exact spot to capture this. I mean, I like to think I can remember that moment when I played the recording back and I was taken to another place. place where we can never be because our our behavior would affect it so it was like a hidden world this secret world and as a as a teenager a young teenager that that really uh, fascinated me and excited me and and the potential of that gradually developed i think Before Watson started professionally stalking wild creatures with a microphone, 
he spent some time in a different sort of jungle, the British music scene, where he co-founded the electro-industrial band Cabaret Voltaire in 1973. For Watson, however, it wasn't the music they created that inspired him most. It was what he was hearing outside the studio. And I gradually became more interested, I think, in what I was hearing and recording outside in places like Derbyshire, which I was on the edge of, um, than the music we were creating in the studio. It was, it just seemed much more interesting and a much more interesting place to be. Cabaret Voltaire continued on, but Watson left the band in 1981 and took a trainee position at a small television station, where he began learning the art and craft of sound recording. Learning how to record on location, learning the equipment, you know, types of microphone, types of windshields, cables, the electronic, learning about electronics and um, and using tape recorders. And then being in the studio and seeing all the... I was there right at the start of the sort of digital revolution. And, um, and that, that was great. It was huge to be around at that time. Watson first connected with David Attenborough in 1994 to work on the documentary The Life of Birds. This gave Watson an opportunity to truly explore the natural world of sound in the way he wanted to, thanks in large part to Attenborough's support. It is always known about the importance of um, of sound in, in in his documentaries, in any documentaries, in television, and so he was he was always aware of um, the requirement and potential um, and creative potential of, of location sound. So it's always been like that. And so when I've been out with him, we've always had conversations about the sounds of things and places and uh, and the animals that we're working with. And so because of that, because he's interested, um, I get space within the production to to make some of those recordings. So it's really helped in that sense. Watson has spent the past few decades traveling with Attenborough and honing his skill as one of the most distinguished sound recordists in the industry. Through thousands of hours spent listening and observing wildlife, he's developed a unique ability to predict the spots where a given animal will rest or pass during the day or night and rig it up with microphones with leads that unspool to vantage points often several hundred feet away. Getting the perfect sound this way may take hours, even days, which is why many studios instead rely heavily on music and artificial sound effects. You know, people screwing up bits of newspaper and things like that and, and simulating what they think might be happening on location. I was always very keen to try and get the real sound of places on the screen because quite often they're far more interesting and engaging than things that could be dreamt up in the studio. Perhaps nothing exemplifies this approach more than the work Watson did on the documentary Life in the Undergrowth, a series about invertebrates. For one scene, the producers wanted to focus on African matabili ants as they hunt for the only food they eat, termites. These matabili ants are very small, a few millimeters long. Um, so you can't get a conventional microphone close to them or you would disturb them so they would stop behaving um, naturally. So I suddenly thought, these microphones that I put on David, these personal microphones, I can't get them on the animals, but I can get them very close. So Watson took these small wearable microphones, put them on long poles, and suspended them above the victorious ants 
as they march back to their nest. Okay, take two. Um, I'm starting to gather to return after the raid. And so I thought it would really bring to life, um, in sound terms, what people were seeing on the screen because they'd hear these small or see these small insects enlarged, but they'd also hear their environment, their tiny environment enlarged as well. I remember playing it back to David on location and we were just amazed and then even when we were filming we were just following these ants and listening to them and watching the behaviour and how they responded acoustically uh, when they were returning with all these dismembered ground nesting termite body parts. Another one of Watson's unique invertebrate recordings came from the blue butterfly caterpillar, which displays a remarkable behavior when it's captured by wood ants and brought back to the ant's nest. So wood ants go out and and collect caterpillars from the blue butterfly, take them back to the wood ant's nest, which you think would be, that would be it. It would be terminal for the caterpillar. They'd be taken back and consumed um, but in fact, what happens is they, the ants then feed this caterpillar um, and the caterpillar responds by stridulating an internal organ, a bit like um, sort of rubbing a comb. Watson was tasked with capturing that sound for life in the undergrowth. He decided the best way to do this was to place a caterpillar directly under what's called a particle velocity microphone arrangement while inside a studio and then surround it with wood ants to simulate their nest. And then it produced this sound. This quite loud vibration, this remarkable sort of drumming, rasping sound. And that seems to further stimulate the ants to feed this caterpillar within what you would imagine would be the most hostile environment possible for a caterpillar inside a, um, a wood ant's nest. It was during that same studio session that Watson took advantage of some poor housekeeping in the space to capture the sounds of sexton beetle larvae. We had a, a wood mouse in the studio which was fairly badly decomposed and it had been inhabited. Eggs had been laid in there by um, sexton beetles uh, and they hatched and the larvae were consuming this decomposing mouse from the inside out and uh, there was a big hole in the body cavity and I was, could introduce again a personal microphone, <laughs> one that actually used on David on another occasion, and push it inside this decomposing mouse to record the stridulations, the squeaks of sexton beetles and the response of the adults encouraging them to feed. Watson's creativity for recording the sounds of tiny creatures is matched by his ambition for recording much larger animals, as well as the otherworldly environments they inhabit. I worked on a series called Frozen Planet, and um, we were in Svalbard, the Norwegian archipelago, at 80 degrees north, before we went to the pole, and I was recording some of the glaciers there, and I put my hydrophones through the sea ice uh, in a uh, frozen bay and recorded the songs of bearded seals singing under the sea ice. 
which is one, I think it's the most hauntingly beautiful animal sound I've ever recorded because they seem, because the surface of the sea is frozen, these animals seem to be as if they're in the air, suspended, because there's no water, water sound. You can't hear waves lapping because the surface of the sea is frozen to sort of two or three meters. And these animals were singing. Perhaps nothing exemplifies Watson's unique ability to listen more than when he recorded the sonic journey of a glacier. I was interested in documenting or making a piece, a sound piece about the journey of a piece of ice. And, and so I, I started recording the Vatnjökull glacier and realized with hydrophones, using them as effectively as contact microphones and crevasses that I could conjure this amazing sort of creeping heartbeat pulse of the glacier. We'll be right back. At the top of the episode, we talked about features, innovative socks that help you perform at your best. You might ask, how can socks really elevate my game? The answer is by being so intelligently designed and so well-crafted that you forget all about them. You shouldn't be thinking about your feet when you're running, when you're walking, when you're biking. If you are, it's usually because something's going wrong. That's John Gaither, Senior Vice President of Product at Features, a family-run business based in North Carolina. John's dad, who was a serious runner, founded the company almost 20 years ago with the idea of creating a new kind of sports sock, one that matched up with the technological revolution that was happening in athletic footwear. The result is a sock that, after two decades of ongoing development, offers a custom-like fit that prevents the bunching and slipping that leads to uncomfortable friction and painful blisters. We, we recognize for a true performance sock, for somebody that's really going to be putting their products to the test, you can't deal with that irritation for 30 minutes while you're out for a run. Personally, I can't deal with that kind of irritation at all, which is why I now wear features no matter what I'm doing. I started with running, but almost immediately began wearing them hiking and biking, and then... Honestly, while recording podcast episodes. The comfort is addictive. Feature socks feel like a second skin, with an anatomical design that conforms to the unique shapes of my left and right foot, and targeted compression that hugs my arches, so the socks are always in place. They come in a range of cushioning levels, so I can pick up the perfect sock for whatever I'm up to. John and his family are so confident in the durability of feature socks that they offer a lifetime guarantee. If at any point you're unsatisfied, they'll send you a replacement pair, no questions asked. See for yourself why Features has become the number one running sock in America. Outside podcast listeners receive $10 off your first pair. Go to features.com and enter the code OUTSIDE at checkout. That's F-E-E-T-U-R-E-S dot com and enter the promo code OUTSIDE at checkout. As Chris Watson traveled the planet and honed his field recording techniques, he occasionally found himself getting a bit too close to his subjects. He tells one story of reaching down to pick up a cable, only to realize he was grabbing a snake. And then there was the incident with the hyenas. And I was working on a feature film 
And so I was out with a guide, a Maasai, somebody who became great friends with Francis, and um, to record hyenas. And we um, we went out in the afternoon. Hyenas are, are mostly nocturnal, so we went to where there was a hyena den because they they were underground during the day. I rigged microphones in the in the croton bushes around the um, around the den, so in the air, and then ran cables through the bushes um, back back fifty meters away to our vehicle. And we just sat there and it got dark and the hyenas emerged and I got some great recordings of the cubs and the females. <laughs> and then the adults went off hunting and it got to sort of 11 o'clock at night and uh, I hadn't heard anything for an hour or so. And it was a bright starlit night. I mean, I won't, I won't ever <laughs> forget this. And Francis had gone to sleep. Um, it was in the driving seat. And I thought, I'll just go and get the gear back. And so I got out and started to coil the cables up. Fortunately, it must have, getting out must have woken Francis up. And um, I'd only gone about 10 yards or so gathering this cable up. And he must have woke up, realised I wasn't there, and put the headlights on. So I was lit from behind, and then I looked to where I was headed to, and I could see, I don't know how many, but there was at least three or four orange pairs of eyes, just motionless, at hyena head height, that I was walking directly towards with this cable. And so I put it down and walked back, and um, you know when you're in trouble with, with Maasai because they wave their finger right in your face. And Francis did that to me and he said, never, never, never do that again. Today, Watson continues to work alongside Attenborough with next year's Green Planet series for the BBC, their latest collaboration. However, these days, he's also finding himself drawn to a more intimate relationship with audiences by creating real-life soundscapes in the form of immersive art installations. I think my the installations that I get the opportunity and commissions to make are what I enjoy most at the moment because I'm very interested in spatial sound. In, and for that, to me, what I can do with those or what I can attempt to do with those is to put the listener or the audience where my microphone was when I made the recording. And I love that aspect, both the recording, composing, and then presenting that work. For me, it's an ideal way of presenting my work. Take, for example, his installation Raffin, Conversations with Odin. It's a composition derived from dozens of hours spent recording roughly a thousand ravens, gathering at dusk to roost in the island of Anglesey in North Wales. Getting people to experience as far as it's possible how the place sounded when I was there or create the same impression. Um, then that to me is a really successful way of working. I really enjoy doing that. But the installations aren't simply about bringing listeners along on a walk in the woods. They're about reminding us all 
how to listen deeply, wherever we are, and how difficult that's become in our modern world. Well, noise pollution is, it pervades all our lives. It's this dreadful, sort of pernicious thing that creeps into most things. So it's a real challenge. There are vanishingly few places where you can go and not be affected by noise pollution. And of course, we don't have ear lids, so um, none of us can really block it out. And when we try to do that, I think it uses up a lot of processing power in our brains, so it then becomes a tiring, stressful experience. Yet as Watson points out, noise pollution is very different than, say, air or water pollution. Because when the noise stops, the problem vanishes instantly. And with the pandemic continuing to keep airplanes and auto traffic at a minimum across the world, Watson is hopeful that we can all take this brief moment of relative quiet to pause and listen. Everybody's talking about how the birds seem to be singing louder and how the lack of noise pollution and the consequent lack of air pollution as well is is improved all our lives in an incredible amount. When I listen in my back garden now, when I have a microphone out there at four o'clock in the morning, When I hear the dawn chorus, that's what I can hear to start off with. Last year, when I was trying to do it, I couldn't hear birds in the background because of the noise from Newcastle Airport, which is a few miles away, or the noise from the A1 bypass, which is a a couple of miles away. So there's this background layer, this patina of traffic noise and aircraft noise constantly which means I couldn't hear into the background, into the distance. I can do that now. Watson stresses that you don't have to be a professional recordist or a former rocker to listen more carefully. Anyone can learn. It's part of being human. We we can easily train ourselves to be good listeners and yet again you know the evidence is here and now how people have responded to this crisis by you know talking about birds singing louder oh i can hear this i can hear that you know i never i've never heard that before because we've got the opportunity of doing it i think most of our time in much of our lives certainly in urban environments we spend time blocking out sound simply to get through the day to communicate we go into buildings with dreadful acoustic design Uh, we're in public spaces where you can't have a conversation we're in open plan offices and the most appalling acoustics certainly in in most contemporary buildings and so we're fighting that Um, we're fighting to listen to communicate just to get through our day-to-day activity when you go somewhere you know which used to be somewhere remote and open your ears to hear the world in a different way, then, then you engage with it uniquely and you can take pleasure from that. And it's, you know, it's not just some artistic whim. We need that and those places for our psychological health and well-being. And people are discovering it. You don't have to now go to some remote part of the Scottish Highlands or the Caledonian Forest. A lot of the time, if you have the luxury of having a back garden, you can just go and stand in it and soak those sounds up, which um, last April just wasn't available to us. 
And so um, people have discovered it because we're good listeners. We're discovering, you know, the art and, and pleasure of listening. But we should take advantage of it now. We've got it for this relatively short period, I think. Special thanks to Chris Watson for sharing the incredible recordings of animals and natural environments used to tell this story. Chris Watson is published by Touch Music, Fairwood Music, UK Limited. You can learn more about his work at chriswatson.net. This episode was produced by Greg Noon, scripted and mixed by Robbie Carver, and edited by me, Michael Roberts. Greg Noon conducted our interview with Chris Watson and wrote a story about him that you can read at Outside Online. And while you're there, please consider making a contribution to fund the storytelling we do on this show. You can do that now at OutsideOnline.com backslash podcast listener. This episode was brought to you by Features, socks that help you perform at your best. See for yourself why Features has become the number one running sock in America. Outside podcast listeners receive $10 off your first pair. Go to features.com and enter the code OUTSIDE at checkout. That's F-E-E-T-U-R-E-S dot com. And enter the promo code OUTSIDE at checkout. We'll be back next week.